Hello and welcome back to the Feeling Scene podcast. It is the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. We're breaking new ground in guest profiles today on the Feeling Scene podcast. Uh, my co-host, an actor, a comically inclined actor, a, a puppeteer who has worked with such names as the Jim Henson Company, who has worked with the Sci-Fi Channel, who has worked with the Muppets, who has just been cast as the titular Mochi in Waffles and Mochi's Restaurant, a Netflix series that got its second season from Michelle Obama, a name you might know. And so David Bizarro, why don't you tell us more of what we need to know about you before we get started, and then tell me about that Emmy you've got sitting behind <laughs> you and what that was for. Uh, yeah, that was, man, thank you so much for having me here. This is really exciting. Uh, thank you for being yeah. here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a puppeteer. Uh, my background before puppetry was in acting. I was an actor for mm -hmm. a long time, but I also worked in production. And so that's actually what led me to become a puppeteer. Uh, mm. When I started puppetry, I had no idea what I was doing. I pitched a concept to a potential client and because I was doing I was shooting commercials at the time and I was like, hey, you need commercials like this. And I sent over this video with puppets in it and he came back. He's like, hey, uh, this is amazing. Could you actually do this? And I said, of course, of course I can. I can do that. Yeah. And so in a week, I had to learn how to build, write, and perform puppets. And oh my God. I didn't know what I was doing. I just watched uh, the most random tutorials on the internet, went on Pinterest, found a whole bunch of information, and built these puppets. Wow. And what I found was I really enjoyed it. Uh, doing puppetry fed a side of my mind that working a production wasn't giving me. So I was, at mm. the time, I was also doing visual effects and animation. And animation was great, but I'm so impatient that I, I wasn't getting the immediate satisfaction that puppetry can give you in, for, through a performance. But once I performed the character, I was like, oh my gosh, I can take my drawings and make them alive. And I can, I can perform through them and get my acting out. Uh, and the more I fell into puppetry, the more I really loved it. And that led me to working at the Jim Henson Company. Uh, I was building puppets for them. And I was also doing a job called puppet wrangling, which uh, it sounds really fun. I feel like I've heard this term before, but I couldn't tell you what it means. Yeah, you've probably heard it before. Uh, so what puppet, puppet wrangling is, is basically hair and makeup for puppets. And so when I'm on mm. set, let's say Elmo gets like a tear in his fabric. They bring him to me and I very quickly mm -hmm. stitch it closed and make sure mm -hmm. you can't see it. And then I send them back out. I also will rig props to puppets or I'll put on their costumes and make sure that the puppeteer can perform them well. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that job, but secretly it was a way for me to get on set and watch the performers perform and get to yeah. know them and ask them questions. And that's how I found myself in puppetry. Um, yeah. What else is there about me? I just became a dad recently. That's been exciting. <laughs> wow. I mean, uh, a dad with a whole puppet workshop, that feels like the beginning of of a, of a show that you could write for yourself. I, oh, man, that's a really good idea. I should, I'm gonna, I should, where's a pen? I need a pen. I should write that down. <laughs> do, do celebrate your Emmy with us. What did you win your Emmy so for? So I won my Emmy for uh, building puppets for season 50 on Sesame Street. And wow, season 50. Yeah, season 50. It was a really, really big season. 
And it what the Emmy wasn't just for me. It was a team Emmy. And so team yeah, Emmy, team, team Emmy, yes. Emmy. There was a bunch of us together that won. And what is really special about this Emmy to me is that uh, whenever a team wins an Emmy, they don't not everybody usually gets one or like gets on the list. And okay. it has to do with hours and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, all the, the contractual union things. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But on this one, they put a lot of us on there and wow. it was really special. And this was this was during lockdown in New York. So I was living in New York and we oh were in God. lockdown watching the Emmys from our laptops. And <laughs> I remember that Emmys. I remember that. Yeah, Emmys. that was the year. And so. It was even more surreal because, you know, we're going through this this really strange, really traumatic period in our life, but wow. we ha are now, you know, getting this thing that brought a lot of sunshine and joy to us. <laughs> well, that is that is a very beautiful. Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the a big a big part of the team got the Emmy or maybe the whole team. That's so beautiful to hear. Um, yeah, because it is. It, it's 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 not just like for the love of the game. Like it's it's contracts and it's union stipulations and it's like very unsexy business of who actually gets a trophy in their hand. It's like same thing with SAG awards and things like that. So I'm glad that you guys could could take the hardware home. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really surreal uh, to have one, but. It's it's nice to have when people come over because I can give them a tour of the home and go, here's my bathroom. Oh, and here's my Emmy. And then we keep walking. <laughs> Next to my puppet. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I suppose then I will take us into the the animating principle of our conversation, which is uh, character, character characters that you have felt a sense of connection with on screen. And who have you brought for us to discuss today? Okay, so I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. When you first asked me what uh, what film that I feel seen by and what characters that I feel seen by, I had a really hard time thinking of one, and which I is was... a big part of the show. It, it is yeah. the, that that challenge is something that like I understand most people who I'm going to want to talk to are going to have felt. So like I I want to hear about your journey with it. Yes, please. Yeah. So I. You know, my dad's side is Italian. My mom's side is Salvador. My mom came to this country when she was 16. And she was the one that raised me. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really actually grow up with my dad's side of the family. And so I very much had the first generation uh, American experience growing up. And a lot of the films and TV shows that are out there, you know, growing up and even through my adulthood don't really represent a lot of like my experience. Mm -hmm. And the the few that do, I, I, I question because they're just not right. But I was mm -hmm. listening to your podcast and I listened to the episode. Um, oh, I'm forgetting her name, but the, the writer from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Bridget Munoz Leibowitz. Leibowitz yes. Uh, and she's amazing. She's absolutely wonderful. And uh, when she came on and I heard her start saying, it was almost like she gave me permission to just mm -hmm. like not worry about it so much. She was like, <laughs> I'm not connected to anything. So I made something and I was like, yes, I love mm -hmm. that. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I was having a difficult time figuring out who I was going to pick. And my, my my wife reminded me, she's like, oh, but remember you were watching Man Who Fell to Earth, the TV series. Mm -hmm. And you told me how... Uh, it's it's funny to say it out loud, but how the character Faraday, you saw mm -hmm. him and the way he was having to learn how to be a human and understand how to communicate with people, uh, that really connected with you. And mm -hmm. I was like, actually, you're right. That is a show where 
I had thoughts like, oh, this character is going through things that I have gone through, not just as a Latinx person, but yes. also I've recently been uh, diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. and watching the show, there were a lot of similarities to the way my mind works and a lot of the things in the show, definitely an exaggerated sense of it because he's a literal a- uh, alien. Yes. But yes. there are things where, you know, he's having to learn how to express concern for someone else mm-hmm. and how to uh, navigate a social event and stuff like that. And and those have been challenges for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, as uh, as a first generation American coming into entertainment, uh, having to convince people that you are uh, talented enough or worthy enough mm-hmm. to be a part of whatever it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And not just being able to walk up and say like, hey, I'm a performer, I'm really funny, you should hire me for your thing. Yeah, It goes to the point of having to be like, no, here's my resume, here's my videos, here's this yeah. thing, cast me. And just like, that not working and then having to like find a side door to get Mm -hmm. yourself in there to convince these people that uh, you can do the job. Uh, And, you know, Faraday had to do that so much throughout the show. He kept having to like convince people. They're like, oh, well, why are you so smart? And he's like, oh, okay, God. All right. You listen to me now. And even then they were like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you just like condensed my like a hundred line problem into five lines, but uh, I don't know. And like he he fully he fully cures a man of like incurable degenerative illness at one point. And yeah, you know, and 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 Justin, Justin falls. Yes. Uh, She she looks at him and she she's just like, how do I know if it's real? It's like he literally just supernaturally. Right. Fucking cured your dad of like. He's going to die. Like the like you know this care you know this man is going to die and you're waiting for him to die and you're taking care of him. He just sapped all the ailment from his body and excreted it out through his face and body in your bathroom and you're like, yeah. "How do I know if it's real?" It's like, "Well, yeah. If it's not real, then none of this is real and we're not real and it's all a hallucination." Yeah. So Get on board. How many disgusting miracles does Faraday have to perform <laughs> yeah. for these people to believe that he knows what he's talking about? Yes. And the show being uh, the the film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, starred yes. David Bowie from the 1970s. He plays Thomas Jerome Newton is uh, the name he has on Earth. And he is here in search of water to save his dying planet. And he like we have the run of that movie. And then this show is starring Chiwetel Ejiofor as Faraday, Mm -hmm. is a successor to that. It's a continuation of it, where Bill Nighy plays the new incarnation of Thomas Jerome Newton. Like, we're carrying the character forward, and he has come here, because it's like, hey, Thomas, you never came back, and we're still a dying planet. And while here, he has to team up with Justin Falls, played by Naomi Harris, to crack the mystery of fusion... For me, not understanding science to say it, to create a technology (laughs) that will basically reset the core of his home planet and also, in the process of doing so, could save planet Earth, which, as um, Chiwetel's Faraday informs Justin, you have till 2030 when the Earth will be beyond habitable conditions and you're all going to start to die. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and we meet, we meet uh, Faraday when he crash lands here on Earth. And he has to learn how to be human, uh, being entirely alien. 
I had to learn how to become a human being. And and he is introduced to him when she's trying to sort of, he's very um, uncouth and he can come off as very rude. And she starts sort of protecting him by being like, he's on the spectrum, like telling people he's on the spectrum. Right. So that there is a grace granted to his very sort of chafing behavior. Listen, he's on the spectrum. I'm really sorry. Thank you. What is the spectrum? It means that you know, you have different social and communication skills to other people. It means you can't connect. You believe you are connected, but you are not. You exist only within yourselves. And what makes you so different? I am different because you are wasting my time. I am not wasting your time. That neurodivergence is introduced to us up front at the show where it's like, okay, this right. is how the world will be able to sort of process him in lieu of understanding him. And right. they, something yeah. I something I wanted to follow up with you on from what you said at the very beginning, mm-hmm. uh, I, this might have been our preamble, was that you love communication. I and do. I wanted to hear from you what your relationship was like with coming to love communication if, as you explained uh, there might have been gaps in communication naturally between you and others as you were growing up. Yeah. And like, how did your relationship with communication evolve to be like, I, this is very important to me and I love this. Yeah. Uh, so communication early on was difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's not that I didn't, I, the way that it, I see it in my mind when I was a child was not that I didn't understand it or mm-hmm. understand its necessity. It just seemed to get in the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, there was just always a block of like, well, why do I have to tell you that? Like when you stub your toe, why do I have to ask you if you're okay? You're walking <laughs> away. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I don't get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, uh, the it started to change for me when I started working in production and I actually had to put things together and mm. bring teams together mm. because I had to clearly explain what it is that we needed to do and what we needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And it, it actually, that also came through when uh, when I was learning production, I started roping my friends into my own projects and I was sending out, you know, emails and call sheets to my friends. I was like, here's what we're doing and here's what's in, when it's happening, Yeah, you know? And I started to f- see how communication in that form uh was really useful and a really wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. When I really gained more appreciation for it was when I started uh, uh, dating my wife. Mm. Uh, she is a communications uh, specialist. She's an oh. expert. <laughs> and so like, she's the director of communications at Oh, she's uh, a director. Uh, it's right her now. title. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. That's literally her title. <laughs> and so when we started, started hanging out, out of the gate, we were just like, making an effort to communicate well with each other. Mm -hmm. And she would point things out like, hey, when I stub my toe, I know that I'm going to be okay. And this was a literal conversation. She was like, (laughs) I know that I'm going to be okay. But if you could just like say, are you okay? (laughs) It makes me know that you saw me stub my toe. Mm -hmm. And I would respond like, but I saw you stub your toe. You right. saw me see you stub your toe. <laughs> she's like, that's not the point. It just right. makes me feel, I, she's like, I know it's dumb. Uh-huh. We can argue about that all the time, but it will make me feel better. You know, just cause you're an alien 
doesn't mean there's an embargo on being fucking polite. Obviously, the film came out many, many moons ago, the, the David Bowie film. I think it's 1976. And then the show is is very new. It came out yeah. this year, I believe. And, yep. you know, these are another character that you suggested that you brought up wanting to, to touch on was Cassian Andor. Diego Luna's Cassian Andor yeah. for the brand new show. Um Andor. And these are two very recent characters. And so yeah. I wanted to hear from you about like watching that new watching new man who fell to earth and feeling that click of resonance with Chiwetel's character with Faraday at such a stage in the game where it's like, I didn't have this when I was 15. I didn't have this when I was 21. And I wanted to hear about that sort of stage of somebody who is a performer, somebody who brings characters to life. But then not till later on down in the sort of scope of their own life are they finally like well that makes like that's a character that feels for me that feels is me that makes sense to me i I wanted to hear about the sort of difference in feeling between things you had seen before and seeing these very new characters now and how that just sort of hit you differently yeah that's a really great question uh what it helped me realize uh as far as like building characters is how to express my experience through my characters. Mm. Like watching Man Who Fell, Who Fell to Earth, I I didn't think of that immediately. To me, it was more cathartic mm. uh, watching the show. It just, it it scratched an itch that I, I didn't know needed to be scratched. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it, they're also dealing with like, you know, this this character who is by, you know, Earth standards autistic mm-hmm. uh, is also an immigrant, like a literal alien, mm-hmm. and he's being treated that way as well. And it made me think of and the, the show states that very explicitly. Yeah. We have like an opening monologue from Chiwetel and sort of a future timeline from when we're really going to experience the bulk of the story up front, where he just says to the world, "He's like, I am an immigrant in a televised yeah. speech." Yeah, and when I started watching him go through his experience of you know, living the life of this literal immigrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me think of the story that stories that my mom would tell me of her uh, coming into the U.S. You know, she mm-hmm. was 16 years old. She got here, didn't speak any English and had to figure out how to work. And when you see Faraday, like trying to navigate and trying to communicate and figure it out. And when he's saying words back, mm-hmm. like he's picking up English quickly, but he's saying words back and he doesn't fully understand what they mean. He's saying them really loudly. He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to use them the right way. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of of my mother. And because we there were, you know, even as a, as a child, we would poke fun at her because sometimes she would like drop a D from the word weird and she'd say <laughs> weird. Yeah. And we would pick on her about that. But mm-hmm. that was, you know, that is a uh, I had an part. Italian teacher who was was raised by Italian. He, he would always say, close the lights instead of yeah. turn them off. It's a part of, uh, of, of her upbringing in El Salvador and speaking Spanish her whole life and mm-hmm. not knowing how to convert that exactly right to English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with Andor, Andor is really blowing me away. Uh, and when I first started watching it, I was kind of, pushing it off a little bit. I Mm. wasn't really, it starts off really slow. Mm -hmm. And when you're, when you first meet Andor, he's, you know, he's walking into uh, this town and everybody's got a British accent. He's the only one without one. British accent. Yeah, like every single person. This is something amusing. What? You keep looking over here like there's something funny. Definitely not. What does that mean? 
I thought to myself in that moment, I was like, well, okay. So are we supposed to buy that Andor lives in this place? Yeah. And he's got clearly a Mexican accent, but (laughs) everybody else has got a British accent. I was like kind of put off by the show Mm -hmm. in that moment. Then my, you know, my son started making some noise and I was like, I'm going to keep it on and I'm going to go, you know, play with my son. Mm -hmm. And as I'm sitting there, I overhear the scene of when his he's got that flashback and he's showing the kids in the tribe Mm -hmm. and my entire mind just got like suddenly drawn into the show because I'm hearing the language they're speaking. And what I notice is that the language sounds like a combination of Spanish and indigenous languages to uh, Mexico and Central America, Mm. which is this uh, native language called Nahuatl. There's a lot of variations of it in Mexico. It's commonly uh, called Nahuatl. And in El Salvador, it's called Nahuatl. And when I heard that, I completely just like stopped what I was doing and Benny was okay. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go watch the show. (laughs) You're you're good over there. Yeah. I sat there with my mouth open, just like, wait, what is happening here? And I'm watching what's happening in the scene. And then they cut back to him and I realize, oh, this is literally a story about how this guy comes from a planet Mm -hmm. that has been treated in the same way that the Latin Americas have been treated by the rest of the world Mm -hmm. in history. And it Mm -hmm. like gave me shivers. I freaked out because for the, for, for the first time for me to see, and there might be some stuff out there that I've missed, but for the first time in a major sci-fi genre, uh, the history of my ancestors was being shown in a way that wasn't uh, it wasn't a satire and they weren't like uh, over doing it in some way, you know, yeah. and like everybody's got feathers and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you know, sacrificing people. <laughs> it it was just acknowledging uh, the experience and mm-hmm. not just what the ancestors went through, but also like what my mom went through and what my uncle went through when they came to this country. Mm-hmm. And that. It, that's the first time, yeah, I've ever connected with it with a show or film in that way, where I really was just like completely connected. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I love I love the big stuff. I give me the MCU, <laughs> give me the DC movie. Like I'm all in. I love that Star Wars. Yes, okay, great. Yeah. I, I love spectacle. Um, I I'll take it all. And it's so tricky with the way this kind of stuff is talked about because it's completely justifiable for people to feel like a sense of fatigue around like franchise extension and extrapolation like I get that and you know there's whenever sort of like a a prestige actor or like a hot like fascinating new director like gets attached to one of these things and it becomes like this you know so and so new director you love who won an indie spirit award is now attached to direct episodes of um, a Star Wars or Marvel show and there's always this kind of like Oh, boo. Like, there's always some part of the conversation that's like, oh, why is the pinnacle of achievement going and directing these huge tentpole franchise things? And, like, I understand where people are coming from like that. But I think in the... It's so... A a line to... I'm trying to constantly walk on this particular podcast is, like, how do we have the conversation around representation without falling into that exhaustion pit? Of the way people I feel like are used to the churn of talking about representation. Because seeing Diego Luna as Cassian Andor on a platform this 
huge, with the resources this massive being front and center and being a part of a story that includes you sitting there being like, that sounds like Mexican in an indigenous language that feels familiar to me with my mother being an El Salvadorian woman. That is an incalculably big deal. Yeah. Like, it is not the beginning and ending of of how, like, well, we solved it. Like, we fixed representation and diversity. But, like, having that gargantuan scale of representation as a component within the greater conversation, it super matters. <laughs> it yeah. super matters. It's huge. And I completely agree with you. You know, a lot of shows are, to me, misstepping by saying, okay, we need more representation. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. Can we hire more brown people? Just hire yeah. more brown people. Just, Just put, put them, them in there. Just put, put them, in. them in there. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not how you represent people. And uh, it, today I was thinking about uh, the next Black Panther film. And mm. I'm excited for the fact that uh, Namor is going to be a representation of uh, Mayan mythology. Mm-hmm. But the, my, my but is that how come it can only be in the brown people film. Why couldn't it yeah. have been in yeah. any of the other films? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't they also, that character be up with these other folks? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm getting really tired of is mm-hmm. uh, representation for just representation's sake yeah. and not thinking about, well, how do we actually connect with the fans? And with Andor, one of the first things I heard when I was reading about it was there's no fan service in the show. And I agree that so far, like there's not a mention of Jedi that I've heard. You right, don't see a stormtrooper. Right. Everything doesn't look like what you've seen as far as like the big sets mm-hmm. from all the films and all the shows. And what I realized with the, was that the fan service is for people like me who connect with what they're trying to tell. Because mm-hmm. they didn't have to tell this story for Andor. They could have, you know, just said he was a spy who was really good at spying, you know? Yeah, which is exciting and it's fun, makes good TV. Totally. But instead, he's a guy who has been displaced from his culture trying to find his sister. Mm-hmm. And trying to find his sister, and the and the reason they were displaced was because the Empire was overmining their planet and there was a, a, an accident that happened and then they left and mm-hmm. they just completely destabilized uh, the culture and whatever infrastructure that that planet had. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that is so much of what the, uh, it, it's a big part of the Latino uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And it makes me really happy that that's the sort of representation that they decided to go with in that show because mm-hmm. you don't, you don't see it. And in, in the children's media where I work, it's, you know, they're still doing that where it's like, wow, how do we represent people? Yeah. Just put a brown person in there and uh, have an episode where we talk about the foods they eat. All right, cool. Moving on. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back with David Bizarro, including his pitch for an all puppet rom-com. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about the return of sorts, though, of course, she never left of the one and only Jennifer Lawrence. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Wow, Emily, we've been doing this podcast for 10 years. I know, but hey, don't worry. You can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff. Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right, trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. 
Just kidding. <laughs> Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything, but we're a good hang. Baby Geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. And I'm Jordan Morris, boy detective. Our comedy podcast, Jordan Jesse Go, just celebrated its 15th anniversary. It was a couple months ago, but we forgot. Uh, yeah, completely. Our, our silly show is 15 years old. That makes it old enough to get its learner's permit. And almost old enough to get the talk. Wow, I hope you got the talk before then. A lot of things have changed in 15 years. Our show's not one of them. We're never changing and you can't make us. Jordan, Jesse, go the same forever at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Today, I'm joined by Emmy Award-winning puppeteer David Bizarro, who has worked with the Muppets and now plays Mochi on Waffles and Mochi's Restaurant. He saw himself reflected in the lead characters of Faraday in The Man Who Fell to Earth and Cassian Andor in Andor. Let's get back to David. Uh, I had uh, I had a wonderful episode with the actor Auli Cravalho, and when we were when I was talking to her about like media that she was interested in sort of generally animation was something she really went back to repeatedly and she talked about that as within animation there was so much more room for imagination and it's so boundless because it's not adhering to I mean obviously everybody brings their biases into things they create but just like sort of fundamentally it does not have to be limited by the world around us because we can create everything from the pixel level on up to be brand new and a product of something fantastic. And I wanted to talk to you about becoming a performer in puppetry and then finding these characters that are resonant with you in sci-fi and fantasy and the, the sort of a limitless nature that applies to those realms of play because they don't have to be anchored to like a one-to-one real world experience and, and how Maybe that, like, is that anything you ever thought about? Or is, there, or is that anything that, like, speaks to you in any way? Yeah, the things that I personally create, I think of that all the time. Mm. I I don't really get, I, I have yet to really get into, like, saying, oh, okay, this, this character is uh, going to be a Latino character who comes from this specific place. Mm. And so I'm going to make them look a certain way and they're going to dress a certain way. Usually, like, this guy behind me, his name's Frank. Uh, <laughs> I made that puppet a while ago and I overheard a guy's voice on TikTok that just sounded interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like this Northeastern guy that he wasn't really talking about anything. He was talking about mm-hmm. nothing and he was just mad about <laughs> nothing, but he knew he was bad, mad about nothing and he couldn't understand why. And mm-hmm. it was just like this ongoing conversation with himself. And I was like, I, that's, I was like, that's who this guy is. That's who mm-hmm. Frank is. <laughs> when I'm creating a character for myself, mm-hmm. I... I think that I generally just think of whatever entertains me or whatever I find mm. interesting uh, because that that to me is a little more freeing mm-hmm. than uh, – and it's also an escape actually now that I'm thinking about it because 
I do get asked to audition for, even in puppetry, for Latino characters. Right, yeah. And it's tough because in the U.S., the the Latinos that we are mostly familiar with here are Mexican. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, usually the characters that I'm being asked to audition for are Mexican characters. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, like, okay, they've got to have a Mexican accent. It's like, great. I don't really do one really well, but I'm going to learn yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. And uh, there was one job years ago where they didn't say Mexican, but while we were shooting, I suddenly understood that's what they wanted. Mm, but they mm-hmm. wanted a first generation American uh, character who had a little bit of an accent. And I said, mm-hmm. sure, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I did, you know, I did like a, a, a very light version of my mother's accent. Mm-hmm. And they kept correcting me and saying, no, 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 it has to be more like this. It needs to sound more <laughs> like that. And I finally was like, wait, is this character, like, is this character Mexican? Yeah. Like, is that the kind of Latino? And they're like, well, we wanted to connect with the all and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, We great. wanted to collect, you know, with the monolith of Latinx people. Right. We want it, all of yeah. you, all of right. you people to feel connected to the singular culture you all share. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's that that'd be that's ah so ridiculous you know it immediately made me think of like saying like yeah you know i i the southern people are really going to connect with this sort of a character so <laughs> yeah. that's why uh we're gonna have him come out and uh have a farm in texas yeah i've been living in you know big springs texas my whole life i'm a regular <laughs> west cowboy kind of guy you know totally. it's, it's the exact same thing it and is, it is the same thing yeah it's embarrassing it's really embarrassing and it's and it's it's hard to navigate when you're in that position and you're being yeah. told you need to sound more like this and then they do the accent at you mm. and you're like I don't know what's happening and I'm imagining most of the time the people facilitating that interaction are white so that's yeah. even more exciting all the time <laughs> I have yet to have a latino person try to tell me how to do an accent cuz it, it wouldn't happen <laughs> it wouldn't happen it that's wouldn't it happen, wouldn't happen. No. And like I've had I, there's two other puppeteers, uh, three other puppet, really talented Latino uh, puppeteers. There's actually more than that. But I'm, I'm directly thinking of two that I've had this conversation with mm-hmm. and they have the exact same story. Mm-hmm. And we'll tell each other like like they're both Mexican, by the way. And mm-hmm. one guy has a family from one part of Mexico. The other guy has a family from another part of Mexico. And they're both like, yeah, our family's accents are completely different. Yep. Like there's there's subtlety there. Mm-hmm. Uh so with my characters, I don't focus on that because I don't I, I want to get away from that. I'm mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I need to be free of that. And and playing Mochi was actually really great because I did get to be free of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to be this weird squeaky ball on a stick. And <laughs> I you know, since he doesn't really have words and uh just spoke speaks in sounds, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to be like as vaudevillian as possible. Hello. Like it's it's all physical comedy with him and and like weird trills and sound effects, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like uh, like a Marx brother or something. And he's like post like post person post. Yeah, he's post human. Exactly. (laughs) Mochi is post human. He's really what we have to look for uh, in the next evolutionary step for humanity. (laughs) We're all heading on a path toward either like Terminator and the singularity or Mochi. Yeah, we're all going to be tiny flesh balls that squeak. (laughs) 
That's us, where we're headed, us about ladies and waffles gentlemen. And, tell us about waffles and mochi. Okay, waffles and mochi is great. Uh, this is season two, uh, but it's called Waffles and Mochi's Restaurant. And it's such a beautiful, wonderful show. So waffles and mochi, they have this restaurant and Michelle Obama comes over. <laughs> She's got like a grocery store down the street. She brings fresh veggies every morning <laughs> and usually delivers like a, like, hey, so what's going on? And they're like, oh my gosh, there's, you know, we got to make a cake. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Well, what's the best kind of flavor? And then they have an argument about it. And they go, <laughs> okay, let's go learn about the flavors. And they fly off and they learn about the flavors. <laughs> and when they are out there, uh, we were shooting it all documentary style. Uh-huh. And so... When we're there, we had a script, but you're working with like kids and like chefs who don't work in TV. So it was (laughs) all improv. And me and my co-star, Sarah Berman, just had to like figure out how to get the key points out. Wow. And get them to say certain things. Yeah. All through improvisation. And it was really fun. And there's an amazing cast. Uh, I got to work with Eugene Cordero, which was really incredible. Uh, But yeah, the cast was incredible. And of course, working with Michelle Obama is amazing. There was this. Yeah, that seems like a neat thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There was it. It was, you know, it's just surreal because she's exactly how you expect her to be. You know, she's (laughs) she's has a really amazing presence when she walks into a space. She's got Uh incredible charisma, super funny, really kind, really warm uh, and somehow remembers everybody's name. Right, right, right. It's like a magic trick. I don't know how she does it. Yeah. And so there was a day we were on set and we're having this moment where we're all kind of huddled up in the kitchen, looking out the window to make sure that a customer liked the food. Mm-hmm. And it's in between takes and it's it's me and Eugene and uh, Michelle Obama and a few of the other puppeteers. And Eugene and I were joking a lot and kind of improvising in between takes. Mm-hmm. And Michelle starts joining us and like, just like kind of joking around because we're <laughs> tired and we're like making these jokes and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm... I'm like riffing with Michelle Obama. This is really weird (laughs) and awesome. But I really leaned into it. But she, when it was time to actually get to business, she she quickly became our auntie who like got us into line. And <laughs> like, they're like, the producer was like, all right, we're about to, you know, do this take. And then me and Eugene are still just like, and Michelle's like, all right, guys, let's get this together. Let's, let's get this take. And we went, oh, okay. okay yep. yes, 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 ma'am. You know, uh, but it was, really sweet it was a really tender kind of like family moment uh-huh. it, but it was it, yeah it was a joy to work with her thank you so much mrs o glad to be of service i will leave you to it good luck thank <laughs> you, thank you. Watching something like what Diego Luna is doing in Andor and what those writers are doing with that character, and then seeing how Chiwetel is embodying Faraday in The Man Who Fell to Earth how do you feel like with recent examples that feel more acutely powerful to you than than previous ones how does something like that as a creator how do you feel influenced by watching these other creators do these things that you experience as so poignant for you i'm still trying to figure that out yeah you know, sure i i i've always struggled with uh bringing my past experiences that feel more uh that are more of my pain Mm. uh forward and like bringing that into my creative work because my creativity and and my artistic drive has been a huge coping mechanism for me my whole life totally and it's been an escape for me and so 
seeing how they're approaching it, I'm I'm still processing it. Like mm. I've 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 had ideas for uh for for a puppet driven uh show that that tells the story of my mother's uh immigration. Mm. But I've always just been kind of afraid of it. Mm. And uh I think the fear comes from the pain that that knowing the pain that she experienced and how that experience has been uh, passed on to me mm. and my experience through my life and the pains that that's caused me. But seeing Andor makes me feel more empowered to explore that and mm. to not be as afraid of expressing that in front of people. My buddy was, and I were talking about this, he's a puppeteer who's Mexican. And we were like doing a workshop together and a puppetry workshop together. And we were like, you know, we haven't done a single Latino character. Like they keep telling us to do as many characters as you can, do it from your background. Mm. And and so there was one workshop where they were like, yeah, bring stuff from your background. And it was almost like they looked right at us, like bring something <laughs> from your background. <laughs> Are you hearing me, everyone? We want you to speak with a Mexican <laughs> ac- No, uh, but we, we, we don't do it. What we realized was that it, when we're doing it with the puppet, it it feels like we're doing a satire and interesting. Finding the balance of performing this silly character, yeah, and it not being a caricature of the culture mm-hmm. is you have to be delicate with it. And I think that we're the right people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also scary because you don't want your you know your grandma to like throw her shoe at you you know like <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want absolutely. to offend your family you know and then be like well what do you i mean they would never be offended by it you know like latinos are they love making fun of themselves mm-hmm. but uh we i just wouldn't want to do a disservice to the culture and so there's it just feels really delicate to me mm-hmm. do you feel like there is a world of sort of dramatic puppetry in a way Mm -hmm. have you are have you honed are you interested in honing like this mastery you have of this very cool specific skill and being like but like what if it was like oscar winning drama but puppetry a hundred million percent Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of puppeteers would would die to (laughs) a lot of puppeteers would just die they would <laughs> die if someone made this mm-hmm. now, they would love to play a character that was grounded in reality but mm-hmm. looked like but was a bunny right you know, yeah like, but like look like frank behind you right, right there right and you know if you even look at the muppets uh like muppets take manhattan is a good example of where they would take moments where it was completely grounded in reality mm-hmm. and it was just a frog having a conversation with a woman yeah. on you know uh on central park south and just mm-hmm. like sitting there like i don't know what to do like yeah <laughs> my girlfriend hates me and my show's not going to get picked up and it, it's there's really beautiful moments yeah and that is completely obtainable with puppets mm-hmm. uh one of my mentors, when you talk to him about performing, he'll just start quoting like uh, Sanford Meisner and uh-huh. talk about how, you know, back, you know, when I was over there and in, uh, in old uh, 
Sandy's classes and yada, yada, yada. He would talk about that. He doesn't go straight to talking about technique mm-hmm. and how to, you know, move the thing. The only thing he would critique about my, my puppetry would be like, just make sure you isolate your thumb more, which he was just saying, like, just make sure you open the mouth with just your thumb, just a little more. That's all he'd give me. The rest of it was like, you know, really think about your character and like, he's mad about this, but why is he mad? So I think to see a 100% drama of puppets would be really incredible. I think for the for audiences, it 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 could potentially be jarring because most American audiences just want to see you know puppet characters kind of go zany and go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did actually write a romantic comedy uh, that was all puppets, and it was very it was very serious at times, uh-huh. but uh, it was just like a straight up like. Uh, you know, sleepless in Seattle kind of a script, yeah. but it was just all puppets. You know, it was a sheep that was <laughs> falling in love and uh, didn't know how to express themselves and was trying to figure it out. And they lived with a bear that uh, was androgynous. And yeah, it's just like this, you know, yeah. really lovely or sad romantic story. And uh, they don't get together at the end. You know, oh, they just no! stay friends. <laughs> they stay friends. You know, he realizes okay, well, like, beautiful. oh, wait, I don't actually, I don't need this. Let's just be friends. Uh, so I would love to see that made. Um, if there's anyone listening right now that uh, has the money or the know-how, <laughs> please, you can contact me. You can reach me on Instagram uh, or just Venmo me. It's just david Dash Bizarro. Just Venmo. Venmo me. I can do it myself. <laughs> just Venmo yeah, me. Just Venmo me. <laughs> well, I guess my my last question to you then would be. Okay. Where do you find yourself sort of in the split with what you do with puppetry? How much how much is this a facilitation agent for you to express the stories you would like to express and the characters you want to express? And how much of it, or has it ever been at any point, a mask for wanting to do something and then being like, but I'm going to put myself behind the puppet to do it? Or maybe that could be a bitch question. I don't know. And you could be like, that's no. a bitchy question. No, that's not at all uh, a, a bitchy question. Um <laughs> Well, you don't no, know how really, this works, so that's, a that's really not even good valid, question. Jordan. No, Jordan, that is a million percent valid. There is a puppeteer named Noel McNeil who played Bear in the Big Blue House. And this is that's his story. He talks mm. about how he was an actor, uh, you know, in the 70s. He's a young man and he really wants to be an actor. Mm. And he's a black man. And nobody will hire him. Mm. And he's like, all the parts were for white people. So that's what got me into being a puppeteer because I I didn't have to look any way Mm -hmm. to perform a character. So with that said, like, there's a lot of puppeteers who say, you know, like, I've always loved performing, Mm -hmm. but I don't like my face being seen. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to perform this character and that's going to help hide me. Puppetry doesn't mask me in that way. Mm. What it has done for me is that when I was performing as just a fleshy actor, mm-hmm. again, I would, you know, I would, I would get requests to audition for Latino characters. And, you know, you know, looking at me, I, I know that I don't look like what a typical Latino person looks like. Mm. And when I would go to these auditions, the thing that I experienced was either they would say, oh, you're not brown enough or, oh, you're not white enough. Mm. And so I never, I wasn't totally successful. They were like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're really talented at what you do, but you just don't look right for the part. I don't know if you noticed, but everybody outside is blonde. It's like, okay, great. And then I come in another time. I was like, I don't know if you noticed, but everyone's a lot darker than you. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you here? You're a white guy. And it's like, I'm actually not. Mm -hmm. So 
that actually is what drove me behind the camera. Mm. And that's what drove me into production. Yeah. Because I was tired of going through this audition process and not getting anywhere just because of the way I look. That's exactly what Ki Hui Kwan talked about when he wonderfully came on and, and he he went behind the camera. He worked with Wong Kar Wai. Like for, for decades, he's been doing yeah. amazing work behind the camera. Yeah, that's where I went. I I started becoming a camera operator and editor and I found myself working for uh, this band called The Flaming Lips for like four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, I was doing their backing videos, music videos, toys, uh, <laughs> documentaries. I was like going on the road with them all the time. Wow. What a life. And it was really, really cool. But, you know, I wasn't getting to perform and that that was really lacking in my life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that it was it was something that I needed to feed me until mm-hmm. I found puppetry. So mm-hmm. if anything, weirdly, I've had sort of the opposite uh, thing happen to me with puppetry than most puppeteers. Puppetry mm. is, has sort of unmasked me and mm. allowed me to bring my inner self out more uh, than I was when I was working in production. Well, David, thank you so much for coming and having this like very forthright and like thoughtful conversation with me i really really do appreciate you taking the time to 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 sit with us today yeah thank you for having me uh your podcast is amazing i'm so happy that i get to be a part of it and your questions are so good because they're thank you they're really really on point but not intimidating and (laughs) you know like sometimes you get asked a question and you're like i need where is my webster's dictionary i (laughs) i need to figure out how to like what was just said to me but you say these things and at first i'm like okay here comes the moment when my intelligence level is revealed oh i get this i get it i totally get it let's let's dive into this question so yeah thank you for having me on this this was so much fun and if you ever want to do a part two uh david gets insanely honest the electric boogaloo i am all about it Thank you to David Bizarro for a really fun conversation where we got to meet puppets. How often does a person get to meet puppets in a feeling scene situation? I can tell you so far once. So that's that's unprecedented. Now, when you check out Waffles and Mochi's restaurant on Netflix, you'll know about the man behind Mochi's little squeaks and hums, and you'll know what he really sounds like when he is just talking like an adult man. And now... The one quick thing before I go, it feels like putting a hat on a hat to celebrate the return of Jennifer Lawrence. She didn't go to some mysterious place. She wasn't in exile. She was decompressing for a while while she raises a baby and like settles into married life. Like this is very ordinary. This is very this is very normal stuff. Uh, this It's not like she's a, she's not an underdog. This isn't like, you know, guys, we should really reach out into the abyss and pull back the downtrodden Jennifer Lawrence from obscurity. It's not that. She's good. She's fine. She's rich and hot and super talented and has an Oscar and it's going great, it seems like. Um, but I miss her. I've missed her. I loved Maximum Exposure Jennifer Lawrence in the media. She has a goddamn way with it. When she, like, jokey guest hosted uh, Jimmy Kimmel for a second there, and that long interview she did with Kim Kardashian, that was, like, some of the best material that has come out of the Kimmel show. 
in its entire run. So another random question. Does Chloe, is Chloe like in on you being subtly rude to her? Or like, are you just like subtly rude? What do you mean? What, like about her style? Yeah. <laughs> She's no, of we course all go you do. through like periods, and she's like, my her and I are really vibing right now. <laughs> like, she just is so preternaturally enjoyable when she is being watched, and of course, you know, the she's so real, she's so real. Like, and to the point of her even joking about, like, her accessibility and her realness. Like, she knows. She gets it. She understands the relationship between, like, her personhood and her persona. Um, But as with all things uh, excessively famous starlet, there was the backlash of sorts where it was like, ugh, I'm so tired of her shtick. I'm so tired of her always being around and people being stupid dicks about it. Jennifer Lawrence is extremely good at being a public figure. And we have a lot of public figures, and so very few of them are good at it. So very few of them are genuinely, compellingly, crackling, and fun. Even if so many of them are just like enjoyable, delightful, doing their jobs, good on you, pats on the back. It is such a treat when you get a real, and and in the new profile of her on the New York Times, written by Kyle Buchanan, profile master Kyle Buchanan, he talks about how, you know, given the sort of dearth of movie stars in Hollywood today, the it was it it made a complete sense that when Jennifer Lawrence showed up on the scene, we just grabbed onto her with both hands and sort of exalted her toward the sun because it was like, oh, thank God, another movie star. Like in that tradition of glitzy and and grinning um Julia Roberts, you know? So I'm just happy she's back. Um, I haven't seen her new movie. It is called Causeway. I think it is coming out this weekend, actually, on Apple TV Plus. Uh, and this is this is Winter's Bone, Jennifer. This is this is stripped down, uh, small dramatic script, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and there's a, a beautiful part in the profile that kind of Kyle Buchanan does of her, where she talks about changing her name like in her marriage and what a difficult choice that was for her she's like I had a feminist panic about it but then she was like but Jennifer Lawrence isn't a name that's belonged to me since I was like 21 like it's not really it wasn't really mine to lose at, at this point and and Kyle asks her who do you think of then when you hear the name Jennifer Lawrence and she says Jennifer Lawrence is Katniss Everdeen I guess and I wept listener I wept at that um so yeah Jennifer Lawrence is back, and we're better for it, and I don't want her to be overexposed and unhappy, but I hope uh, she has a number of projects she does have coming up, and I hope she is around in the press because I enjoy her, and she is a delight, and I think it's more fun in the little media ecosystem when she's around, and we deserve to have some celebrity fun. Julia Fox, you know that, and you give that to us. Thank you. Uh, So that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.